So, I suffer from myopia. It's not contagious, so you can relax, all right? You won't get it if you shake hands this morning. Myopia is nearsightedness. That's why I wear corrective lenses. Some of you may have it as well. So what that means is when I take off my glasses, those of you who say where Bonnie is, particularly in the back wall, uh, she's faceless right now for me. Okay, and so I just can't see things. It's not a good idea when I'm driving to not have my glasses on. I see those green signs and they just, they're just green. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no print on them, there's nothing. So, so I wear it. That's, it's very, very helpful. It corrects. They correct my vision impairment. You know, it's a good probability that there are a number, not only of you who suffer from myopia as well, you are nearsighted, but also a number of us may be suffering from what I would call spiritual myopia. Nearsightedness in that we tend to see our world from our immediate perspective. We're going to look at a passage this morning that addresses the cure for spiritual myopia. And so I invite you to open your Bibles as we will read together from 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. All right, 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3, his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, we would include, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, would you speak to us through the movement of your Holy Spirit today that we would be better understanders of your truth, 
but most important, Jesus, that we would implement your truth by your grace in your name. Amen. So if you're an outline person and you like to do that and follow along, there are three major words that describe this passage of Scripture. The very first one speaks about the power, verses 3 through 5, and then it talks about the produce, the result that should be happening in verses 5 through 7, and then the balance of the Scripture talks about some great promises that are there. So power, produce, promises might help you kind of feel your way through that. Right up front, please understand that spiritual myopia is not something that you and I can overcome by sheer willpower. Just as much as I would like to, to say, I'm no longer nearsighted. I'm no longer nearsighted. I'm not going to be. I don't need to wear my glasses. And I just, I, in China, hope and hope and hope and hope. The Lord hasn't chosen fit. Certainly he could heal me. Could heal me at any moment if that's what he chose. But he has not. And so as much as I would like that to happen, I need to have something outside of myself, in this case, corrective lenses, to clarify my vision. So understand that it, only, and it is only through having the presence, the power of God within our lives, and thus the power of God at work in our lives, that changes us. Spiritual short-sightedness can only be corrected through depending upon God's power at work within us. And that, of course, occurs when, first of all, we are born from above. Jesus speaks about the new birth. The new birth, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, brings about the new life of God that is within us. Now we have the capacity through that in, in a, to be able to reflect the very characteristics of God. So understand that where there is no life, it is absolutely impossible to have any power to be able to live in a way that is different. It's not going to happen. Now, when there's life, you how many young parents? Got some, a lot of you probably got some little kids scooting around. You know, when we have kids, we, we, we anticipate growth, don't we? Much as we love little babies, we've got five grandkids, we do. I can't cradle them any longer. My 13-year-old uh, granddaughter, who's the youngest, not going to go. Uh, give me hugs, Grandpa, but not going to. Certainly, I can assure you that my 22-year-old's not going to allow me to do that either, all right? But when they were born, and we've been very grateful to be able to be around and to see them, I mean literally from day one, all five of them, there's no greater joy. But we expect growth. No? I mean, now that the 22-year-old, I'd expect him to still be scooting around in his diapers. We expect growth. And with growth, we expect characteristics to change. We, we just expect things to happen. Understand this. It's, it's just a simple truth, but I think it's so imperative that spiritual growth, spiritual growth is not automatic. It requires cooperation with God. That's why that, just catch that line, reading from the NIV, where it says, make every effort, every 
effort to add to your faith. Make every effort is a colorful expression in the original language. It, it, it simply describes you, you really work at it. You have to invest energy. For the past couple of weeks, the Olympics have captured our attention. You've probably seen some of it, okay? Be assured, not a single athlete who competed in the Olympics decided, hey, my country's sending me. This is great. I got an opportunity to go. Let's see, the Olympics are going to be happening. Most of them planned four years in advance. You know, they've already started a life of that. But, but I, can, I can assure you that not a single athlete decided that they were going to be in the Rio Olympics of 2016 three weeks ago. Yeah, I think I'd like to go. Yeah, that's, that'd be good. Okay, I'll run around the track a few times. You know, swim a lap or two and kind of get in shape. Ah, it has been a diligent preparation. They've had to work at it. Michael Phelps did not get medal number gold, what was it, 23? Through just saying, hey, I just kind of, I swim one day a week, you know, it's a beautiful thing. It has been a life. It has been a life. Simone Biles, the same thing. Any one of those and every one of those athletes, they have had to be intentional to make an effort. Certainly they have God-given abilities, but they have made the effort to become the people that they are today. As they've made every effort, it says, make sure that you add to your faith. Another fascinating word. We actually get our English word uh, choreography or a choreographer for that. Some of you who know, you know, little drama and things like that get it. A choreographer, in fact, it was, they were introduced in the Olympics, you know, the floor exercise and all that. And if you remember seeing the blind gal with Simone Biles' uh, coach who did a lot of the choreography for those athletes on her, on her team. Fabulous thing. Well, back in Peter's day, a choreographer was hired by the state to be responsible for acquiring and funding, funding all of the actors and the vocalists for the Athenian drama festivals, they were called. Okay? Now, if you were given that privilege. Bobby, you are going to be the next choreographer for the upcoming games. The closest thing that we might even begin to think about. Eh, that doesn't even work, really. Let's just say, okay, Unity Festival. Bobby would be great at coordinating Unity Festival, wouldn't it? Say, Bobby, here's the deal. Uh, you, in doing that, you've got to pull it off. You've got to not only rent the venue, Bobby, okay, you'd be responsible. You've got to pay for all of the acts that come into this thing, okay? All of the sound, you got you got to do it. That's your responsibility. Make it happen, buddy. He kind of start star Well, if you were a choreographer, you had the responsibility to come up with the money as well as to produce the show. So when it says that you add, this was a lavish production. It's a big deal. Think opening exercises in the Olympics and the closing venue as well. A lot of money goes into that. So a choreographer had that responsibility to be able to add to lavishly supply, to work at it 
and it's going to cost you something. That's the essence of what is being talked about here. Make every effort to lavishly add to the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus the following characteristics. And it goes in to describe what those are or the produce. Well, the first one that's mentioned there is the word goodness, or perhaps your Bible has the word virtue. Okay? And that basically is a term that describes an excellence of achievement or mastery in a specific field. In essence, fulfill the purpose that you have been given. The Bible says that when you and I come to faith in Jesus, that we are his workmanship that are create, have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to look like him, to represent him. We have the life of God, right? You've noticed with your kids, grandkids, our kids, children usually look like their parents, don't they, to a degree? Oh, man, he's got, his, he's got his dad's nose, poor kid, you know. He's got, you know, eyes, even expressions, mannerisms. You notice that? They reflect the parent. Well, these characteristics should be reflective in us. But it says make every effort. Now, you've, we've got the genetic DNA, so to speak, in a spiritual way to reflect the life of God this is what that life now looks like. Reflect the very presence, the person of Jesus. Fulfill who he's called you to be. Okay. Make sure that you're good, really good at it. My wife, Debbie, who isn't able to be here for the first service, uh, she's uh, trying to, again, work through some of the cobwebs of a uh, very, very late night or an early morning, depending how you look at it. All right, she has got a good garden going. Killer garden, let me tell you. Green, lush. So I was coming out this morning, it's next to our garage, it's all fenced, and I made a fence that would stop white rhinoceroses from going through this thing, all right? Yeah, but anyway, she's got a good garden. She's got an excellent garden, in fact. It's green, it's healthy. But the most important thing is she has got fruit, tomatoes like softballs. She's got some zucchini that since we've been away, they look like beached whales. <laughs> she's got some pumpkins. She's had squash. She's beans. I mean, she has got a good garden. It is fulfilling what that garden is supposed to do. Produce veggies, right? Yeah, it's what gardens are supposed to do. Summers are times for me to do work projects. Before I left, I was doing some minor things with my cordless screwdriver. Every man needs a cordless screwdriver, just as every man needs a sawzall. Oh, go through stuff. You know, certain tools are just, they're just awesome for what they are created to do. So my screwdriver is designed to drill holes, Ooh, could do that. I can screw in screws. I can take them out. But I can assure you that screwdriver is useless when it comes to painting our house. It's useless if I'm trying to dig holes to sink more poles. 
for the garden that's expanding. It's not what it was made for, right? Screwdrivers made to do things to the screwdriver. So you and I have been created to be able to be good in reflecting what we were designed to do to reflect Jesus. It's bottom line. And some specifics that he goes on to add to that knowledge. Knowledge is not just a head full of facts, but it is a growing knowledge. Doesn't mean that we're just able to quote a lot of the Bible, but it does mean that we need to know what God says in order to be able to respond and live out what God says. How in the world are we going to know what Jesus expects of us and how we're to be living in this world unless we know what he says? Right? That's why it's so important. It's essential that you and I cannot grow in our walk and relationship with Jesus unless we are growing in our knowledge as to what he expects us to be. We respond. We learn. Thus God says, this is what you're supposed to do. Says one of the things, we're to be kind. Okay, I didn't realize that. My world is not no longer just about what I want, but I need to be courteous. I need to be, see? So it's the implementing of truth into our lives. It's not hard. With that, add to that knowledge self-control or self-mastery. It's the controlling of our desires instead of being controlled by them. It's a great line in the Proverbs, 25th chapter, where it says, better is a patient man than a warrior. Better is a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. So that characteristic self-control is something, by the way, that try as I might, I cannot muster up in my own ability the self-control that the scripture calls me to have. Just because you are a Christian, I can assure you that does not make you immune from temptations. In fact, you've probably discovered at this point, and if you've come to faith in Jesus at uh, beyond a, a little knee-high to a, you know, just a, a little kid, when if you've, as an adult, I was 18 years old before I heard the gospel for the first time and accepted Jesus. I was clueless as to what the Bible said. I wasn't raised in a church-going family in that sense that where I learned about the scriptures. And so talk about a sharp learning curve. Knowledge, understanding. But I also discovered that the things that I, I knew I shouldn't be doing, there were still some des desires, and even some of that began to intensify. And I thought, wait, well, what's up with this? I mean, why do I have to still deal with that? Well, because we have a fallen fleshly nature that is not resistant to temptations. So there are things that I have to say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore but I have the power within that enables me to do that. There are also things that we discover that we need to avoid because if I don't avoid those and say, no, have some self-control, I'm going to have some problems. 
Let's just say I'm, I'm on a diet. You decide to go on a diet. I've been on a diet, been doing really good. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Let's just go down to Reich's today or tomorrow. Maybe Goober's. Yeah. Just walk in, smell the coffee, put your nose up against the glass, and just, you're just there to look. Sniff. How many of you would be able to make it through the morning just doing that? Uh, thank you for being honest. All right. Deadly. I'm asking for trouble. And so there are things that I have to thus make the choice that, you know, I just can't go there because that's going to create a, an, it's going to put me in a spot where I'm going to get into trouble. So there's things I have to avoid. There are also things that I may have to find, where I may find myself being uh, put into a situation that I have got to now leave. One of the greatest challenges that I had as a younger Christian coming up was my, the circle of friends that I had that weren't believers in Jesus and the challenges that I had as a young Christian in trying to live in obedience and to walk with God. But I found that when I was around them and certain things that we just had done before you come to Christ, that the Holy Spirit was convicting and I found, you know, I'm not supposed to be doing. So I just found I had to start looking for a whole new section of friends, quite frankly. I just, I could no longer do this. I had to avoid some of those things. There are also situations I discovered that didn't want to be there. And when I was now in a situation, I literally had to leave a situation. One of the classic stories of that, by the way, is in the 39th chapter of Genesis. Remember young Joseph? He's hired and his boss's wife has a very keen interest, not just in a friendship with Joseph. Quite frankly, she wants to have an affair with him. And so she makes a move on Joseph. And as you read the narrative, you'll find out, what does Joseph do? <laughs> yeah, it's not because he wasn't a man. Joseph understood, I got to be out of this place. Otherwise, something is going to happen that is going to dishonor God, and I'm going to regret later on. And so he left. So part of self-control at times means that, yes, we have to say no to those things, to be intentionally avoiding them, or if we find ourselves in situations, often the best thing is you flee. I just have to do it. But that's just what God calls me to do, self-mastery. Add to self-mastery the next one, perseverance. And that addresses the world, let's say, without or outside of us, as well as the world within us. Perseverance is the capacity to be able to endure, to bear up under, literally is the rendering of the term, to stay in place, to dig in your heels, even when it is not an easy thing to do. It's been said that the will to persevere is often the difference between failure and success. So part of this growth process, when we're growing the way we should in our relationship with Jesus because of the life of Jesus that's within us, 
that you discover there are things I have to say no to, but there are also going to be those things that are going to repeatedly, repeatedly keep coming into my life. So I have to be intentional of persevering under it. Haven't you ever asked yourself, why does this still get to me? Why does that just irritate the mm, out of me? Don't you love it when people assume the right when they are coming on to the off of an entrance ramp on the expressway? They have the right to pull in front of you, regardless of where your vehicle is. We've probably all done the same thing at times, haven't we? All right. And so the natural reaction, I don't know about you, but is, oh, I start praying those imprecatory psalms over that point. May your car go through the guardrail. May the, may the Lord smite you. No, I just, my reaction to that. I just came back from five days in New England. Any of you ever driven in New England? One of the basic premises of surviving on a New England highway is he who looks loses. We, being from New England originally, and then we moved back for some 18 months after I had uh, resigned from my last full-time pastorate I, at Crosswinds for a number of years. Uh, we moved back east for 18 months and started working with Barnabas Ministries. Now, my wife, Debbie, is a very, very courteous driver. They were killing her out in New England. I mean, you know, she's cautious. Of course, she doesn't stop familiar with the roads. Nothing makes sense. It's all five, six lanes. You know, everybody's going 70 miles an hour, and they're going that far between the car in front of you, you know. And so if you don't know where you're going, people aren't usually kind out there. Oh, that's okay. I'll back up. I'll let you in. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, it's just, rah, just keep going after you like crazy. And so... I'm not even sure. I just had a brain burp. Why I was even going with all of that? But found out that, yeah, trying to work to operate within that, people are still going to do things, and you learn, spite of that, irritates me. I've got to bear up under it. James has a fascinating statement. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, my sisters, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, catch this, develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work or it must be allowed to continue so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. So you see the repeated trials, the repeated things that force us to depend upon the Spirit of God to demonstrate self-control and to bear up under those things, those are the very things that God uses, not to trip us up, but to be able to develop us, to mature us. So hang in there, hang in there, even under the difficult circumstances that you may be facing, repeated temptations, because as you persevere, that just continues to grow you. As it goes on, add to perseverance, godliness. Godliness is best described as God-likeness. It describes a person who's in a right relationship with God. It, it means that we know what God says, what he expects through knowledge, we're growing in him, and we choose to do it no matter what. And thus, when we do right, God is honored and people see Jesus with flesh on. 
Not always an easy thing to do, by the way, because we still wrestle with our fleshly desires, the old habits, feelings, reactions. Practicing godliness means that by his grace, we live a life that reflects Jesus on a consistent basis. We are God-like. So when people want to know, what's Jesus like? Well, yeah, he forgives, he transforms. But this is what Jesus likes, looks like, you know? Have you ever had somebody say to you or to your kids, oh, you look just like your father. You look just like your mom. You, oh, it just reminds me of your dad. Well, that's, in essence, what godliness should be for us, is that when we are seen, we reflect. We are God-like. We reflect our Father, the one who has given us life. Add to that, keeps on going, brotherly kindness. If you do any traveling this summer and go to the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, we lived there for seven years, and I can assure you it's better called the city of brotherly shove. The, sure, the uh, school kill expressway, we used to affectionately call it, it was the sure kill expressway, all right? And uh, brotherly love, though, in a simple way, it's a, it's a familial love. It's the kind of love that we just, we demonstrate towards family. Even though you have an Uncle Harry in your family, every family I think has an Uncle Harry, you know, or an Aunt Lillian, forgive me if your name's Lillian or Harry, but, you know, there's just somebody that's just, you know, just, they're just, well, we love them. You know, they're family. You know, they're family. They're a little weird, but we just love them. Yeah. Brotherly kindness accepts one another because they're family. But brotherly kindness ought to be the type of stuff that, say when somebody comes to Gateway for the first time, they visit you here. They ought to leave this place saying, man, they really love God, but boy, I just felt really comfortable there. I mean, they just... I was welcomed. People talked to me. I get to speak at a number of churches throughout the community. And I can assure you, not all churches are really friendly churches. I've walked in and kind of stood there, you know. Yeah. Have coffee time afterwards. I got my little cup. You're walking around. Usually by then they've discovered, oh, he's the speaker for the day. But I've I bumped into churches that aren't really welcoming. Boy, we should just, people ought to sense that we're family, you know, when we gather together, and it's good to be there. Add to that one love. Now, everybody knows this one. This is the agape love, the love of Christ that is sacrificial. It's unconditional. And the difference between those two loves, I think, is spelled, said well by Warren Wiersbe. And that is that when we have brotherly love, we love because of our likenesses to others. But with agape love, we love in spite of the differences we have. Ah, that's where it comes down to it. You see, agape love is what motivated Jesus to die on the cross for us. In spite of our rebellion and our sin, God still chose to die on the cross for me and for you. Isn't that, isn't that stunning when you think about that? You know? He just understood, like every good fisherman does, that you don't clean a fish before you catch it. You catch the fish, and then the fisherman goes to work on cleaning it up afterwards, right? 
So when we come into a relationship with Jesus, then we discover he starts to change, and that's what we're dealing with here. And it's that agape love that is so different. It goes beyond. It's sacrificial. I love even when it's uncomfortable for me. See, so that's the produce. Now, very quickly, you can see now the closing promises that are given. There are three different, actually, number. But first, there's a promise that will be effective and productive. When these characteristics are being fleshed out in our lives as a work of the Spirit in our lives, we'll be growing in our relationship with Jesus, but we'll also be impacting others for him. You've all discovered what it's like, say, if you go to a uh, your particular, uh, who likes Italian food? Anybody like Italian food? Oh, man. When you've gone to a good Italian restaurant, you come out smelling like you've been in an Italian restaurant, don't you? I mean, it's just, it's the way it is, right? Well, you can get together. Where'd you eat today? Oh, you ate over at so-and-so. How'd you know? Well, I could smell the garlic. I could smell it all. It's just, it's great, you know? Well, part of that effectiveness is that Jesus is sensed. His presence, so to speak, is smelt. It's, he's aware. He knows it's obvious where we, who we've been spending time with and growing in our relationship. So we'll be effective. We will pro- be productive. The second thing is that <clears throat> our vision will increase, and that's that cure for myopia that we're talking about. As we are growing in these characteristics in our walk with God, we will no longer find that our world is, that's all we focus on is our immediate environment, but rather God allows our vision to, to increase. We, we just are aware of others. We get it that it's not just about me, but it's about seeing others touched for him. And that last one, isn't that phenomenal? That there will be great assurance. That's what it says. Now, a profession of faith is what will save you, but it's a progression in your faith that will give you assurance. Because you realize, you know, there's been some profound changes in my life since I've met Jesus and I've been walking with him. There's just, he has been making a significant difference. And so by the grace and the power of God, then instead of wondering, man, I hope he's, you know, he's going to be happy with, I mean, what's, you know, I hope I'm going to make it. Well, if you're growing in a relationship with Jesus and you're seeing him work within you and lives are being touched and transformed and you're growing in your knowledge of him and all of that, it's going to be, man, I can't wait to get home. Great assurance. That's what he talks about. That rich welcome when it comes in. What a great passage of scripture really is. But I got a question for you. Are you experiencing this power, this life of God that is changing you? Maybe you've been coming to church and you'd like that to happen, but it just, well, it could be that you don't have the life of God. And it's the life of God that enables you to demonstrate the characteristics, the person, the the presence of God. So that's starting point number one. And the second question is then, uh, what's, what's it look like? Does it always tend to be what I like, what I prefer? I don't like what they're doing. Or, no, nah, this is exciting. What do we do? Instead of when we think of ministry as happening strictly within the four walls here, we start to think about what's going on. How can we be engaged in the community? I love it. You're doing this backpack thing. I mean, that's just reaching out. And realizing it's not about just doing church in the four walls here, guys. 
It's about us impacting the community where God has us. Your vision will start to increase, and lives will be touched and drawn to him. Isn't God good? Mm. Let's close in prayer. Again, the question is, do you have the power of God within your life? Have you ever come to a relationship with Jesus and acknowledging your sinfulness, your brokenness, you have messed up, you've twisted the truth, you just, you need forgiveness, bottom line. I invite you today, if you've never, ever invited Jesus Christ into your life and you want your life to change, this is the day. You may pray a simple prayer that so many, countless, have prayed. And it starts with, God, forgive me. For I know that I'm a sinful person. I have violated what you've said. God, I need your forgiveness. I need you to come and cleanse me. I need you to make me a new person. And I invite you into my life today as my Savior. Forgive me, Lord God. I believe that you are God in the flesh. And now, Lord, I surrender to you. Make me the kind of person that you are so capable of making. That's a prayer, if you've never prayed, that I encourage you to pray today. And secondly, now, what's your life looking like? Is it, what's the, has there been produce? Are, are you growing, or has it been more about what you prefer, what you like? Are you growing in goodness and all those characteristics that we looked at. And are you experiencing God's great promises? Other lives are being touched. You're seeing your world through the eyes of Jesus. And you just can't wait to finally see him. You're growing. I challenge you today to make a recommitment of your life to grow in grace. But let's back up. Anybody here today want to have their lives changed and come into a personal relationship with Jesus? And you prayed that simple prayer. If you did this morning, would you raise your hand? Hmm. God bless you. God bless you. It's wonderful. Perhaps we can get a couple, couple of moments just to chat afterwards. Wonderful. Those of you who uh, haven't been growing and if the Spirit of God has just spoken to you and say, you know, things need to change, things are going to change in my life, and I commit myself afresh, I commit myself afresh today to finally start curing the spiritual myopia. I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus. Lord, I am yours. Come and do a fresh work in me by your Spirit. If that is your prayer today, would you stand to your feet? You've prayed that prayer and are surrendering your life for God to do a fresh work. Would you rise to your feet, please? Father, oh, Father, we bless your name. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for your spirit who lives and works within each of us who are born into the family of God. Lord, we surrender ourselves afresh to you. And I pray that you would use us and use Gateway 
in ways that they have not yet experienced to make a profound impact upon the spiritual landscape in this community. I pray for a fresh anointing of your presence upon each individual in this room this morning and on all those who are associated with this ministry. Lord, use us to accomplish your kingdom purposes for your glory. And for this, we thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.